Hello, my name is Ty Wood, and I want to welcome everybody to Inside the Actors Studio. With us today is a very famous actor of stage and screen with a career lasting over 50 years. Everyone, please give a round of applause to Mr. James Woods. Thank you. Thank you. So, so amazing to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, of course. Would you believe it or not, we've been trying to get you for probably like a year or two straight and just the schedules have not worked out, but it is so exciting to have you in the room with us. And we have a number of, I think, very probing and provocative questions about your life and career that our audience is exciting to see you give an answer to. Well, go ahead. I'm, I'm obviously a legend and I have... Um... Uh, I'm sure that uh, I'm ready for any question you can throw at me. All right. Well, let's get started. First things first, the elephant in the room, you're well known for making provocative statements on your Twitter account, as well as for calling lawsuits against users who insult you. After a 53-year-long career on stage and screen, how do you keep up the energy to give a fuck about that? Well, um, have you ever heard of something called a uh, voluntary blood transfusion? I have not. It sounds so fascinating, though. Elite athletes, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, uh, did this. You would go over to Europe, and uh, usually they would um, slit the throat of some young, virile Polish boy. Oh, uh, basically, slaughter him like a... Uh, you're familiar with veal, yes? I have had veal before, yes. So, similarly, they break their legs at birth, and they kind of raise them to be eight or nine years old. And these boys have some of the most incredible blood you'll ever see in your life. Really? Right? Is it, is it still and, red, uh, though? Because it, for my money, if the blood is so spectacular, I would be expecting other colors, blue maybe, or gold. But is it is it all still red? Well, here's a fun science fact for you. If you While, while the blood is in you, it's blue. I learned that the other day oh, from my I nephew. See. Before it's oxygenated. Yes, yeah, so basically they have a uh, 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 they hook up a line that goes straight from the boy's body into my thigh, and then I can basically drink and smoke all I want. I see, I see. And this comes from the ingestion of Polish people's blood. Ingestion is not the word I would use. It's oh, a, I see. Uh, it's a full swap. So. As oh. I am given their blood, they take my old brown blood. I see. Do they automatically turn old when that happens? I'm I'm not sure of the science behind this process, but it seems to me like if you're being rejuvenated by their blood, do they turn into an old man like a Benjamin Button situation? I wouldn't say an old man, but they do get uh, very tired. They start to become confused by um, technology and uh, uh, they lose uh, uh, some kind of vitality. Oh, I see. I see. This is, um, again, I am no scientist. I am simply an interviewer of actors and producers. But is there a fear when you take the blood out of these young virile poles that you will lose your ability to screw in a light bulb? That's always a risk. It really is. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. But the truth is, I uh, the, the Polish boys are about all that I can afford when it comes to these uh, blood transfusions. I'm not getting that much work these days. Oh, well, Hollywood hates conservatives, am I right? You said it. But what you're saying is so richer people, like maybe like a Bill Gates or like a an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos, they can afford children of other nationalities. Like what what is what is the top blood transfusion nationality? Is it European? Is it some kind of Asian? Is it African? Is it Australian? 
Canadian blood is Canadian. the most sought after. Canadian child's blood. Yes, but again, I don't. I don't want to go too far into this because of. of course, uh, I of feel course. like it'll be taken way out of context. Well, way, I, way, way out of context. Well, I would just like to issue an advisory statement to our audience that please do not take what the actors on the show are saying out of context. They are individuals with full lives, and occasionally it is difficult to collect their thoughts. So. Thank you. Yes, that makes me feel so much better. If you want to judge me for stealing the blood of a young child. Know this, you do not know my story. Of course not. So I just want to go through, before we move on from this topic, a couple of the more provocative things that you've said on Twitter. Uh, You have called, let's see, Representative Frederica Wilson a saloon hooker clown parasite rodeo clown. You have said that Google loathes Christians after there was no animated doodle on its homepage celebrating Easter. You compared Call Me By Your Name to Nambla when you learned that it was between a 17-year-old boy and a 24-year-old man. True, true, and true. That is very true. Famously, you filed a $10 million lawsuit against an anonymous Twitter user because they said you were a quote-unquote cocaine addict, which (laughs) I I suppose would be funny. Did they confuse you with some of the many cocaine-addicted characters you've played during your career? They must have. The truth is, uh, reality is often stranger than fiction. And if I told you the actual drugs that I do on a daily basis, you wouldn't believe me. And not only that, you would have never even heard of these drugs. Okay, I so can't I won't waste my I would time. Have. Just on a on a scale of like, if let's say cocaine is a five, these drugs are they a seven? Are they a ten? Are they a twelve? Where do they rank on the scale? It would be somewhere in the low. To mid-40s. I see, I see. And you're still alive after this. Of course. Fascinating. The human body is a marvel. I would just like to, before we move on from this topic, ask you, do you have a statement for people who are maybe incensed by some of the vitriol you spit on your Twitter, by your incessant insults towards gay people and women? Is there any message that you would like our viewers to take away from this? Well... Let me think. You know, here's what I have to say. First of all, fuck you to anybody who has any problem with anything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Number two, when you said, let's address the elephant in the room, I thought you were talking about Nikki Haley. <laughs> okay? <laughs> How droll. She's been putting on quite a few pounds, and I think it will really cost her in the election cycle. She is a larger woman. Yes, she's... um. Now, I, I'm i so sorry. I'm looking at my producers backstage. Am I allowed to call her a fat bitch? They're, sh- they're shaking their heads at me. They're, they're doing the cut the throat motion with their hand. I'm going to say that maybe we cannot call her a fat bitch, a huge slut, uh, the mom from Gilbert Grape. And I, I feel like they want us to stop denigrating her weight, but I would say that uh, I appreciate your, your opinion on the topic. Of course, of course, anytime. Moving on from your Twitter exploits, uh, you first rose to prominence in the show The Onion Field. What was that about? Like, like onions or something? Like, what was the, what was the deal with that? Um, you nailed it. Uh, okay. I've never actually seen the show myself. You know, oh, as an actor, I'm not sure if you've ever done any acting, uh, Toto. But when you act, okay, I'm not watching what I'm acting in, right? I'm so in the moment that everything is moving at this beautiful pace. I'm creating, I'm painting, right? right? I so I have no interest in what 
product is, what the finished product is. I'm interested in the moment. I see. Interesting. Fascinating look into your process and into, honestly, your philosophy on filmmaking. I think that's very useful for many of our viewers. Moving on, how hard was it to make your hand do that at the end of Videodrome? You know, like when it gets kind of like weird and goopy and like, like the gun like goes into the hand and your hand becomes kind of like half gun, half hand. How difficult was that to make your hand do that? And how difficult was it to remove the gun afterwards? Um, I would say that it was very, very easy to do that. I do that all the time when I'm watching uh, the Golf Channel. Maybe I'll oh, do that I with see. the remote control. Um, but on the other hand, removing it is very, very painful. So this is this is a skill that you have. Did you have to build this skill up? Was it always part of your repertoire? How, no, how did you? No, 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 no. And and Tessa, do you mind if I call you Tessa? That's not my name, but sure. So Tessa, you may have heard of this. It's called being double jointed, honey. Oh, I see. I see. I had a friend who was able to pull their thumb all the way back to their wrist in grade school. Is this? Is yes. This so that's word? basically the same exact condition, or some might say ability. Some would say skill or blessing, perhaps. Okay, well, fascinating. And and so uh, David Cronenberg just made use of this ability that you've had since birth. David Cronenberg was asleep on a lazy boy that he had permanently installed in the set, okay? Oh, I see. He did not lift a finger. Was he melded with the lazy boy? Did he also have this uh, X-Men-esque ability that you have of being double-jointed, or was he simply sitting in it? No, he's an untalented hack. I okay? see. He has I no see. double joints. I would be surprised if he has single joints. Oh, well, <laughs> very provocative statements once again, this time lobbed at director David Cronenberg. I'm excited to see if there's a response on <laughs> Twitter.com later. Um, let's move on. You are a member of Mensa with a reported IQ of above 180. For our viewers in comparison, Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein had IQs reported around 160. Did you join Mensa before or after that you realized that it was a rotary club for insecure dickheads and that IQ is a measurement of intelligence that has no bearing in the modern world? So I'll tell you a little bit about how I joined Mensa. I took the IQ to test and, um, I, you know, with the, when I was at MIT, um, oh, I, see. I, 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 see. I was you taught were... uh, by uh, yeah. Professor Noam Chomsky at the time. He was oh. a professor. He taught Manufacturing me, consent. Pardon? Manufacturing ma manufacturing consent. Yes, I was um, I was trying to be I've a part never of the really conversation. Done that. Uh, when <laughs> well, I we know we be... know we know full well that you you don't touch consent with a ten foot pole, Mister Woods. No, never again. IQ over one eighty. Why do of I need course. to? Why would you? You already right. you can tell by the movements of their body and their twitching of their eyes whether or not they are interested in having sexual relations. Exactly in the same way that a lion in the jungle can tell that a gazelle wants to be eaten. Now listen. Does Noam a gazelle Chomsky... generally want to be eaten? Um, I, I feel like no. yeah, I feel like most of them don't. But basically, I learned at my, in my time at MIT that uh, on any given test, the correct answer is statistically C. So when I took my IQ test, which by the way stands for intelligence quotient, oh, I see. I answered C, 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 C. I sounded like one of these goddamn Mexicans. <laughs> oh, my produ my producers are actually they're actually looking very angrily at us right now. Maybe we maybe we back off from some. Yes, I'm uh, covering my eyes. I can sort of see them, and I I could understand why. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, many of them are are Jewish. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Um, don't point at me with that nose right there. Come on, look. Hey, turn around. Look at the wall. No, look at the wall. Moisha, if I have to come back there and make you look at the wall, I will. I don't care about this audience. I will come back and I will make you turn your eyes away from me. Thank you. Sorry about that, Mr. Woods. No, it's okay. Let me ask you, I'm going to say one or two more questions, and then we will uh, open it up to the audience portion and the viewing of your movie, Cop, that I know everyone's very excited to see. Do you still keep in contact with Peter Griffin, your co-star from multiple episodes of the television show Family Guy? Oh my goodness, you have no idea. Peter Griffin is the one and only living American auteur. Okay, he reminds me of a sort of, he's a kind of uh, Marty Scorsese for a new generation, right? Well, um, Martin Scorsese is still famously living. I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) He's, I mean, Uh, he has a film coming out, I think, later this year. Okay, well, moving on, uh, back to Peter Griffin. He is, uh, what he's doing is so incredible, so amazing. He's a part of this movement. Um, You're familiar with Dogma 95, yes? He's sort of a. a Is that the Kevin Smith film? Um. Yes, no. it is actually. No, no, sorry. No, I don't know if Do- I don't know if Dogma is a part of Dogma ninety five. I believe Dogma ninety five was a bunch of uh. I see. Dogma came out Europeans. in nineteen ninety nine. Oh, okay, that's what you're thinking of. Yeah. Anyway, he's a part. Uh, uh, Peter Griffin is a part of this amazing, uh, amazing, amazing uh, uh, group called uh, Animation Domination, and they kind of have these oh. rules that they adhere to with everything that pr- they produce, and it's it, it, it really creates something so cohesive and so just like um, un- unbelievably unique and original. You know, he's a true, uh, a true original in that way. I see, I see. So much, much different than that hack, David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg, again, if he was, uh, say, at some kind of rally in uh, some major city, some some um, some protest, I would gladly, very gladly, uh, drive my Rivian right into his body and those uh, unsuspecting and people he, around him. And he would, as the director of the film Crash, I suppose he would be a big fan of that. Yes, and knowing <laughs> him, he's such a, uh, a gore-obsessed goofball that his head would pop off and reveal a green skeleton or something. <laughs> oh, my producer. Well, I don't know why my producers are mad. I don't know why they're mad at that one. He didn't. It's not a race thing. It's just the skeleton's green. I don't. No, 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 no. Don't be confused. It's a race thing. Oh, I see. Okay. So that's probably why they're. That's probably why they're. What? Like Irish? What? It, what is. Whatever Cronenberg is. I feel like, like Eastern European, right? I want to say. Well, then I hate that. Uh, to just simply two more questions. Uh, thank you so much for for providing your time to us in the studio audience. So in nineteen or in two thousand, you switched from Democrat to Independent, and you remained Independent from two thousand to two thousand fifteen. At which point you began you became a registered Republican. Um, that initial switch, though, from Democrat to Independent, what was that about? Did you just like think Al Gore was like gay or something? What what, what was the impetus behind it? Well, it was 1999. Bill Clinton had just been impeached, and the Democrats, the Democrats, stood behind this adulterer and perjurer, right? Perjurer, so I would I, say. 
and a pervert, yes. So this disgusting fat too. sexual like not, it's pervert. not part of it, but he was like a big fat guy, and that's kind of he, like he was gaining yeah. weight rapidly. So that's my problem. All of these Democrats standing in support of this disgusting, demonic, sexual deviant, right? And my yeah, question yeah, is, yeah. whenever I've been a d- disgusting sexual deviant, the Democrats scurry like roaches when the lights are turned on. They tisk tisk like with the finger of Zeus. Yes, so what's so special about William Clinton, some uh, two-bit hillbilly from God knows where, right? I I would like to play devil's advocate for a second. Do you play the saxophone? I play many, many instruments. I can pick up almost any instrument and learn it instantly. But the saxophone? Except for the saxophone that is... um... Have you considered that that's the crucial difference? No, 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 I, I have not. I thought the difference was maybe for a while that he was about an inch taller than me. Ah, uh, that's very possible as well. People love a tall man. Basketball players? Crazy. Kobe Bryant, everyone loved him. He got away with rape also. Yes, so I've always had some kind of complex about my height. I see, I see. How tall are you right now? Like 5'4", five, 5'5"? Five, five? I'm about, I'm pushing, I, I think that I'm right on the edge of a growth spurt. I've been eating a lot, sleeping a lot. I can feel kind of shin splints in my, uh, in my yes, sleep. Yes, so yes. I think that I'm going to push four foot eight, four foot nine pretty soon. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, sort of a, sort of a, I'm looking at you now. You do have sort of a, a Gimli build um, from Lord of the Rings. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so yeah, it was a hero, great hero. I will just ask one more question, then we will be on with our viewing for the Again, lovely studio audience. Thank you so much for coming out and watching our show. Who was the best teenage girl that you ever had sex with? It was Amber Tamblyn, right? Oh, a gentleman never kisses a teenage girl and tells you about her pussy. (laughs) But yes. I see, I see. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Woods. I would like to get a round of applause from everybody in the stands right here. And do you have any projects that you would like to discuss that you have upcoming or that you are simply excited to champion? Well, I will be um, pretty soon again, once again, in the City of Angels, beautiful Los Angeles. And the plan is to walk down the street on a hot, hot day and eat a Dodger dog. So if you see me, please take an unflattering Dutch angle flash photograph. Yes, if you have a Polaroid camera, a camera phone, any sort of picture-taking device, please get it from the worst possible angle, maybe even under the hot dog if possible. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, well, thank you so much, James Woods. And now on to our feature presentation. Hey, hey, everyone, it's those good old fashioned values, and we're doing another movie episode. And, you know, we've been talking about a lot of uh, problematic movies like uh, Gran Torino, Dragged Across Concrete. Brokeback Mountain really isn't problematic, but uh, I'll, I'll just put it in the mix just for fun. It was at a time, but. Yeah, it was at the. T- it was problematic at the time. But anyhow, when we started doing this, there was one movie that I really wanted to talk about because, one, it's one of the most ridiculously right-wing and lunatic movies i have ever seen in my fucking life and it is also fantastic and i fucking love it and it's just amazing all around and it's got family and it has 
uh, a beloved icon of this podcast. Yeah, Family Guy regular James Woods. So in order to go full film nerd mode, we brought on the king of Letterboxd, Josh Lewis. Josh, how are you doing? Uh, good. I'm I'm happy to be invited. I am clocking in from the University of Toronto's James Woods study division, uh, and I'm <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah, no. For the uh, the the last time, James, for for the audience, the last times me and Josh were on here in an episode together, I believe was Ted too. It, it, yeah, it was. So the homework this week was of more value to me. I think I, I had a better time. I'm going to be in a better mood. <laughs> you sure? I think. Yeah. Yeah. You sure you didn't you didn't <laughs> learn and appreciate? Yeah. Uh, that Marvel of film. Or Doug Ted Walker. Too? You didn't have to. Uh, you know, it's funny because he went from Ted Two to Doug Walker, and I was just trying to think of ways. Like, okay, how can we go lower than that? Like. Oh, you can. Can we like? Can we do an episode on like cartel executions or something? <laughs> do do an make him do an episode out of nowhere uh, on fucking uh, late early two thousand CG direct to video movies. I don't know. Oh there's, yeah, there's always you can always go lower. Yeah, no. You can watch, <laughs> no, that would be great. You can watch open season three. Or yeah, some open shit. season three. That's the next time we're gonna have Josh Lewis on. <laughs> uh, actually, I don't know if that would be worse than Doug Walker, but it might be. I don't know. Um. Anyhow, Cop, 1988, directed by James B. Harris, written by um, James Elroy. And James Elroy is a really interesting guy to me because, uh, one, he wrote the script that would later become uh, your dad's favorite movie, L.A. Confidential. That's a solid movie, I think. I know that one's stock has dropped a little bit, but... You've, have you seen that one, I've Andy? I've seen it, Of course you haven't. I have, I have not. Did, what do you think did, of that did, one, did, did, did he write that script, or did he just write the book? He wrote the book, not the script. Gotcha. The script was like really viciously. One of down. the the writers of this movie script, uh, James Alroy, did write "L.A. Confidential." That Andy, uh, that is literally what I just said. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking Andy, about the other guy. Okay. All right. Director. Never mind. So, <laughs> Andy, that is quite literally. No. What yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I don't mind "L.A. Confidential." It's definitely when it came out. I think it was kind of overrated i guess i mean like it's in in terms of a movie like the material it has a lot of ideas about you know sort of i don't know la as this you know this beautiful illusion covering up this corrupt racist industry of abusers and careerists which no one has yeah no one's done that before no No one's ever made a movie about that no and it's just one of those things that it it feels like formally when they went to go make that film because who made that was that hansen was that curtis hansen who did that yeah curtis hansen the eight mile guy yeah two, two home runs yeah he he and, and i mean it, it makes sense he kind of just turned it into this uh like pop action movie approximation of something like a chinatown rather than i don't know something that kind of has the mood that feels like it's reckoning with that history but i've never read yeah. the elroy book and the material seems like there's a lot there so i do want to go to it at some point cop well, cop seems well, like it has more kind of going on under underneath it uh in terms of the material so so there's a, a bunch of things you need to know about James Elroy. So for starters, when he turned into L.A. Confidential, he was told that the book is too long and he needs to trim the length by about half. And mm-hmm. so what he ended up doing, you know, because the book is filled with all these subplots and like, you know, pivots and stuff like all it's like big sleep level complicated. And rather than just trim some of that out, he just cut out like all the filler words, basically. Like he just went through and cut out like all of the and just babyfied his book so he yeah. could keep every confusing fucking plot to his <laughs> oh yeah no 100 um 
I also I worked a uh, job where I had to like listen to old interviews, uh, you know, old like post screening interviews, and one of the interviews was with James Elroy, and it was fucking insane. Like he um he they were talking about like old L.A. murders, and they were talking about making a movie about um the murder of a I think or um johnny stopinopoulos one of those fucking greek names that was really popular at the time and then he just cut in while the moderator was talking about it and he said yeah if they make a movie about that they're gonna get some fag actor to play them <sighs> he's he is a fucking insane person i mean that is you know the kind of person who was writing fucking crime dramas for Hollywood oh yeah screen play adaptation from like 75 to 95 and probably later yeah um, no and he also he has also said something along the lines of uh the lapd are extremely corrupt and brutal and i support them unconditionally <laughs> okay which is the politics have, of this movie basically do, do you have uh, a context for how 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 much time passed in between that quote being said fucking rodney king getting beaten to death on the side of the highway i think it, it could, it's very possible it was like in response to rodney king like this guy is actually oh, an yeah. insane person Jesus if you Christ. go to his i remember when we had cop like when i was watching it this morning uh my wife like was looking at uh his wikipedia page and in the first paragraph it says elroy when he was young saw his mother naked and began to sexually fantasize about her it's like what that's on your Wikipedia page, dog. That's on- <laughs> yeah, no, that means you were talking about it. That's not even. That's not even in like the controversies section or like the misconduct section. It's like in the biography. That's part of your origin story. Is that you do, saw your you mom's cans? Do you have any trivia about the other writer and director of this movie, uh, James B. Harris? Uh, James B. Harris. Um, I hope I'm not misremembering it because I'll make an ass of myself, but I'm almost positive this guy worked really, really closely with Stanley Kubrick. He did. He was he he produced uh, the killing in Paths of Glory, and um, I think he might have even produced yeah. Lolita. I I okay. He did. I'm looking at it right now. There's a. Um, I actually do have um a great story since uh he was like working on working on Doctor Strangelove with Stanley, and like you know the movie started out calling him Stanley, like he's my friend. Yeah, this is my buddy Stanley. Um. <laughs> No, we, uh... My buddy Flat Sam. <laughs> no, we, um... He, he... They were, like, making it, and at first it was not a comedy. It was, like, a, uh... You know, it was, like, a drama. And I'm pretty sure they just kept, like, riffing in the studio, like, in the writing room together, or they just kept riffing with each other. Anyways, Harris ended up, like, leaving the project to do something else, then he got a call from Stanley saying, like, Hey, James, um... It's a comedy now. <laughs> it's a comedy now. Which is that's a great thing to get on a phone call. Yeah, no, this you know this movie about like apocalyptic war and just like the complete failure of our institutions to prevent this. Yeah, this is going to be a movie with like pie fights in it. Now, <laughs> heads up. Uh, no, but uh, cop. Uh, yeah, cop is pure fucking uh, James Elroy. It is psychotic. It is brutal. It is really mean spirited. It is very right wing. It had the benefit of typing into fucking James Woods. This was before James Woods made his right-wing pivot, too, which is even funnier. Yeah, this was when he this was still back- in his Oliver Stone era, where, like, two years ago, he would have just done Salvador, which was, you know, him being a war journalist trying to report on U.S.-backed, like, right-wing, you know, military dictatorships and stuff. So he was he was that's, being weaponized by just realize. anyone, you know, for whatever political yeah. ends. And, uh, yeah, and it's what, he would have done Videodrome as, as, as well, which definitely All feels like a precursor to... 
the idea of having a character who's more focused on just like exercising his sick impulses and being driven by that than like any other aspect because this is like a movie of him being a cop and it's a procedural he's doing an investigation but like 90 percent of this movie is he's just like all of a sudden gets horny or violent and just pursues whatever he wants to do from there instead <laughs> yes all, all look all kinds of directors need crazy guys <laughs> doesn't matter james woods it sucks that he's like one of the most reprehensible people in Hollywood, and he's also a pedophile. It sucks because that his politics <laughs> and his Twitter banner are also indistinguishable from Rob Schneider's. Um, well, <laughs> well, but but, but that's, well, no. I was gonna say that's part of the part of the uh, appeal of James Woods as just one of the ultimate slime ball. Uh, Yes. actors in that way who's you know he's so many things that he's he's been in john flynn movies john carpenter films scorsese films but every time i think about him and i go into a james woods movie the first thing i think about is that simpsons bit the uh well that sounds like a great movie james he's like right a movie and it's like <laughs> you know if you're a director and you want a sleazy scumbag character filled and you just want some guy who will walk onto set and he won't know the cameras are on, and you just let him pop off, like, that's that's his a- appeal as an actor to me. <laughs> I, I literally don't think I've ever seen him give a performance that was less than pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've <laughs> yeah. ever seen that. It's, he's such, he's got a very, he's a very limited instrument, but, like, everyone who's used him knows exactly what this guy's fucking deal is, and they use it really, really well. He's, uh, no, he's fantastic, and he's fucking fantastic in this. He's takes this character who very easily could have been like a more noble cop figure, even with like the exact same script, but like it just gets pushed like 15% more psychotic. Like there's this really, really kind of shocking moment where the, you know, there's a feminist, we'll go through the plot, but there's like, you know, the feminist bookstore um, owner is like talking to him and like confiding in him about her history with being like sexually assaulted and like talking about her like past traumas. And he's checking and, like, his you know, watch. He's checking his fucking watch. Like they have serious music playing. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. One of the most like just despicable casual details, which is how on some level when I watch this, I'm like, I maybe this is just a happenstance of James B. Harris just kind of has a bit of like a sturdy economical shooting style, and he wanted to kind of have like this shaggy. I'm gonna sit here and just kind of watch these actors talk to one another. Like I'm I, like it's one of those things where you don't include that detail if you're in on it, or you just have an actor that in the fucking zone. Yeah, <laughs> no, a hundred percent. Off topic. This is this is something that I noticed when I was watching uh, this movie. Um... Which I think was around the same time as, like, when TNG got off, or Star Trek The Next Generation got there. Anyway, it is... Has anyone else noticed that, like, James young James Woods looks almost identical to young John Delancey? Um, I'm not a TNG head, so I couldn't answer that. I will, I, I, I will look I, that I up. That. I will look but it is just something that immediately... Like, it's, it's not irrelevant, it's not important, it's just something that stuck in my head. I wanted to ask if anyone else noticed. Uh, I can see audience, it a little I bit. I can see it a little bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay, so this is, like Josh said, this is a police procedural. And it's in, like, the tradition, you know, it's of the tradition of them all where you got the crime, the opening crime, pursuing the leads, narrowing down the suspects, you know, all of the that, like, glorious process of, you know, taking that little, taking that little thread and then chasing it all the way down until you finally get the guy. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, well uh, and it's basically written as if it's like James Elroy's uh, audition for like a late Dirty Harry sequel or something like that in terms of yes. the way that it has been plotted out because he's playing this de- James Woods is playing this detective Lloyd Kaufman which is a very hilariously generic name but he's basically playing Dirty yeah. Harry if he was like less cool and calm and had like more pathological like divorced guy energy to him and which is kind of more appropriate for dirty yeah well and and james elroy too from what i understand the novel has a very sort of graphic like horror-ish quality to its neo-noir and the original title for it was blood on the moon which the producers had to change the title to cop which by the way i love that it's just called cop there's some (laughs) cop there's some mythic quality to that it's like calling the movie cowboy that just makes this even sing even more for me that this is the depiction of a cop that gets that treatment uh but they had to change it because they were like yeah everyone's gonna think that this is like you know it is a serial killer movie and all that the same way the first dirty harry film is where he's taking down the approximation of the uh gay zodiac killer um yeah but it's like you know uh they and and there's some horror qualities that that still get kind of kept kept in there but for the, for the most part they were definitely trying to make this shaggy la procedural and there's even and, like a jazzy and, synth kind of noirish uh thing to the soundscape of it as well so and that kind of gets into yeah. it sounds like uh someone tried to recreate the chinatown oh, yeah, soundtrack on midi yes I, yes i support <laughs> i support it sounds really cool it's so 80s so man man so many like 80s like crime movies like this just have weird like but also really good soundtracks like this movie it's just this is, I think, one of the most quintessential examples of, like, it's, like, this, and what's the name of the, like, Eddie Murphy, Walter Hill, um... Uh, 48 Hours. 48 Hours, yeah. 48 Hours. It's, like, those those two are very good examples of, like, what crime movie, textbook examples of what, like, a cop movie was like in this era, and how, like, manic and different it would be. So... Because this, this kind of was the dominant genre of the 80s. I, I also, I sorry, I hate to interrupt you, Andy, but this, I completely forgot about this. I knew about this and then I forgot and it's blowing my mind again. So the, sound, the guy who did the soundtrack for the score was uh, Michel Colombier. I don't know how to read French, but um, he is the guy who did the entire score to Jacques Demy's uh, opera, A Room in Town. So this guy pivoted in the course of five years, went from this heartbreakingly beautiful like operetta about um, like labor workers, basically caught between like a strike. And then six years later, he's making like Giorgio Morador since for James Woods is like the swaggy rapist. Did the full sound or at least was all worked on the soundtrack of Prince's Purple Rain. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, no that's scant. That actually feels like a good like halfway point between these two. Those two. Yeah, like, when you, I was like, I'm seeing here Jacques he did Demi. Melville's Un Flick as well, which is there's so there's a little bit of French crime movie in him, I guess, but I haven't seen that one. Oh, he did Barbed Wire. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this guy had a hell of a career. Well, he I'm went all the way into the '90s what? too. New Jack City and Deep Cover, like he was doing the black exploitation crime era what, as well. Deep, good for yeah, Deep Cover. Oh shit! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Very, very, very workhorse composer he's, he's got. Which oh, I he did know. the uh, Madonna Madonna Guy Ritchie movie two years before he died, too. Swept away. God damn, dude. What a, what a fucking career. Just what an insane mix of films. Um, anyhow, uh, yeah, the horror qualities from the novel kind of get retained here a little bit because the violence in this, you don't see too much like on screen like murders, but like the aftermaths are shown and they are pretty pretty graphic. yeah they're very good about hiding shit in, in just in plain sight 
but that's also completely covered in darkness. Yeah, well, well what's so yeah. interesting um, is that James B. Harris very clearly, he's coming at this from like a, you know, I have like a like a, a tasteful craftsman point of view, and the push and pull that I adore so much about the movie is that the, the character doesn't really deserve that kind of movie. And so no. like like it's it's very, very nice push-ins, it's very, very nice framing, and then it'll just be like a woman strung up like she's in a Texas Chainsaw movie behind James Woods' head, and James Woods just, you know, be being tortured by that and then going home and doing insane shit like reading case files to his kid like it's like a bedtime story because he's just yeah. like he's just an incredibly disturbing pathological character yeah gee i wonder why your wife took your daughter yeah. to san francisco there's a lot of like high angle shots of james woods like smoking pensively and like thinking and then i'm like this guy's like if you like could look inside this guy's mind it would just be like a cartoon rabbit running around like that that is not he is not he does not deserve the fucking noir treatment but no that is part of why the movie works so well so yeah no as it does begin james woods is a psychotic cop who's got a family and you know all of these movies are required to have like you know a wife that doesn't like how into it he's getting like you know you're getting too far you need to focus on your family but this pushes the uh that this pushes that to the funniest extreme i think i've ever seen wherein James Woods gets home and he is showing, basically describing like the horrific murders and stuff he sees in West Hollywood to his like five-year-old daughter. Yes. And then when his wife is like, you probably shouldn't do that. He goes on this big speech. It's like, yeah, I bet you believe in candy canes and fairy tales and happy endings, don't you? This girl needs to know. Uh, girls get murdered because they think life's fair, but life's not fair. Like just on this. Like, oh, big dude, the, fucking... the, the line, the line of uh, expectations, the greatest woman killer of all time. It, it, I think about it all the time. And he, he goes even further. He's like, it, it's, it's a terminal disease, a myth that ruins every little girl's life. Innocence is killed every day. And he's using this as an excuse to be like, I should be able to talk through the graphic murder of women to my child he, when she's going to sleep. He's doing this rant in almost like a, like a season five and six, like Homer Simpson has completely lost the ball and is ranting about sugar. It's the same <laughs> sort of just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and and his wife is just very flatly like Lloyd. I think you're a very sick man, and you're just like you know yeah. you're kind of like yeah, I guess so. Yeah, she's right. <laughs> and she immediately just fucks off and leaves, and that's it. Well, and then he so forgets kinda... about her. Like he's briefly sad of like reading that note about how she's taken the daughter away from him, and it's followed yeah. by in the same scene he puts that note down. He calls up the sort of like witness or uh, prostitute who's kind of like related or is like friends with the girl who got murdered. He calls her and 10 seconds later, he is having sex with her in her apartment. Yeah. <laughs> as, as breakfast, as yes. breakfast is burning in the background. <laughs> yeah. And they have a serial killer filming them too. No, it's got the, the thing that consistently cracks me up about this movie is how despite oozing this fucking repugnant, like just vibes i hate to use that term but literally just repugnant vibes every single woman james woods talks to in this movie wants to sleep with him across ideological lines across professions across class like he encounters a prostitute and he just like he's like been chasing this one suspect for a while and he just like basically just shoots him in cold blood basically and then takes the prostitute he is with home and it's implied that they're gonna like hook up 
He also... Oh, well, uh, when he delivers that amazing line, uh, blow away a broad's date, least I can do is drive her home, which is, like, obviously an incredible moment, but also my favorite aspect of that scene is because, yeah, he's, uh, I think he's targeting, like, some armed robber, a series of armed robberies, and he his he goes out on this stakeout with his partner literally because he's bored, and he got into a fight with his wife, and his wife said, you can't come to bed with me. So the scene is literally, he gets in the fight with his wife, and he calls his his partner, and he goes... Hey, you want to like go out on a stakeout and like bring our guns and like maybe kill somebody? Like I I could really use that right now. And that literally like and so like that sort of, you know, his mindset of I very clearly just want to go out and kill someone and I will sort of lay out a series of events in order to make that happen becomes like kind of he he starts himself kind of pushing the movie around with his own kind of like fascist glee that that he has he starts to control scenes and the processes of the movie and his desires push it in that way which is so interesting because yeah that guy gets out of the car he just fucking blows him away and then takes his girl and that <laughs> and that's and the it girl's like like girl's like standing on the corner going like tee hee like she's like it's like fucking like a fucking ferris bueller's day off dude, or something. the, the like bloody corpse of the dude is on his partner like it's like a physical gag yeah charles durning also got to give shout out one of the great exasperated guys in movie history uh, yeah i love that he's like the quintessential just donut swallowing partner <laughs> yeah just the, the exact right like fat cop who's just like yeah you're getting too too into this you need to you need to chill out man you need to yeah he's very he's very much just like uh the edward g robinson for like the 70s and 80s well i was i was like is is he the one where they have the conversation about like why can't girls fly like us too (laughs) yeah he says something like why can't broads fly like us it's like the fuck does that mean man he's like like, you know we're 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 cool we're out here doing our own shit and he says something along the lines of uh better than wings is they should have tits or something like this movie is just like so repulsively written and yeah no the the level of misogyny, like, I don't want to talk about it like, oh, this isn't like, you know, oh, it's a dude's rock moment when uh, this movie is very misogynist. No, I want to say that the reason why it's compelling is because the person who made this is a misogynist and also a fucking psychopath. And you get a window into their mind. Yep. You get a little peer yes. into like what a crazy person thinks a crazy person is. Well, and, and, and I find what I do find interesting is that, you know, like I think made by somebody else you know, you could see this being played up as cool. What's interesting about this is that for Harris, it does, I mean, like, cause I, I don't know how he felt about the material or anything like that. I haven't, uh, he doesn't seem to be, I, I know he does a couple, every once in a while no, he shows but it you, on 35. No, you can tell he's, he's a lot more skeptical about. He doesn't uh, depict it as the coolest thing ever. Like, like James Woods does not no. get the amazing, iconic, like dirty, hairy moment, except for you could argue maybe yeah, they, the last moment of the film. And which what, kicks okay. ass, which yeah. is amazing and one of the best endings ass. ever. <laughs> I, I will say I was a little let down by the third act climax because I feel like in something in rewrite was cut because it felt like we just like stumbled into it. It's like, oh, it's just this guy that we, we barely met before in the movie, if at all. And then and then they have like, the, I don't know. I feel like there should have been like for like how intense that climax is. I feel like. There should have been, like, a more personal angle to it. Because, like, in comparing this with Dirty Harry, you spend up quite a bit of time with the killer in Dirty Harry. And obviously this is more of a, like, framing him as sort of a monster as as Woods becomes that. And that works really well. I just think, like, I don't know. I feel like that climax 
was a little did was a little yeah i mean i want to i want to read, read the book to see like ha, like what there was any if there was any more detail to it that was done differently because the only thing that they really try to throw in there i guess is the fact that it ends up being a little bit of like a hometown connection is that he's scrolling yeah. through like yeah. yearbooks of people he grew up yeah with, they find and out it, and it takes place in like i don't know if it's his high school or like just like a high school that he knew and so there's there's supposed to be like a you know he ain't he ain't a teenager anymore they're all grown up and they're you know <laughs> yeah he's a silver lake homeboy silver lake homeboy um, one of the greatest lines in the movie yeah. the one that always gets me is when james woods just so nonchalantly says like yeah i'm sorry i shouldn't have popped off last night anyhow yes just referring to casually. him killing a cop by the way yeah which he is telling his superior that he did <laughs> yeah it's unbelievable no um I will say it is so fucking ridiculous that the serial killer in this movie that is doing like absurdly graphic, like medieval torture style stuff to woman is a male feminist. Yes. Like that's the big yeah. twist. It's so awesome. Like <laughs> the person who wrote this has the brain of a fucking dinosaur. Like it's, it's unbelievable. It's like, you know, he's like, aha, that's the motivation. That's it. And then you're like, what? That, that's it. Oh, okay. Okay, man. You do you. Yeah. No, the stuff in this movie that is, like, genuinely, like, kind of insane, both for how, like, repulsively written it is and how just, like, it exists in the thing at all is, you know, he's got a trail of dames that he has to talk to in classic noir fashion. You know, he's got a... First, he's got, uh, you know, someone who runs swinger parties uh, where couples can come in and do blow. Yeah, and he, and he just starts having sex with her despite the fact, like, like completely unrelated to the case. There's even a part where she calls him over to be like, I'll give you my client list, and he has sex with her. And then later she calls back and said, you never took my client list, by the way. Do you still want my client list? <laughs> like, he just completely forgets about the case in order to, you know, indulge his own impulses, which is why I think when we'll, when we'll get to it, like, the ending is so great, because this it reveals it that this is a movie of this guy wants to just indulge something deep inside of him and express it kind of cathartically and 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 violently and it makes sense that the movie ends right when he eventually um ends up and, and yeah, ends up this, getting that this is another great example of too horny to action to be cop like michael douglas and basically well and and there's just, also some great moron. gross detail thrown in by harris uh, surrounding the horniness that just makes it even more off-putting like that shot when they're having sex and he has her up on like basically up on the stove in her kitchen and there's this insane pan over to the like sizzling burning, the burning bacon, bacon and then over to the knives and then over to the door which is when they're going to be revealed that they're being filmed and later when he finds her dead it's tied up it's cut up and it's burnt basically like the the piece of bacon so it literally like connects the two sort of like flesh images in a really gross way yeah I, uh, I thought when you said that it was going to make it gross, I thought you were referring to just the image of James Woods, like, fucking just sucking on a the, boob. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's also really gross. <laughs> yeah, just putting it in his mouth like it's a goddamn, like, filet mignon just, like, going to town. Yeah. I was like, oh, dude, come on. I don't need to see that. The sex scenes the noises Halloween are 3 horrifying. were bad. Yeah, yeah, no. A lot of the a lot of the women in this movie have that like very eighties look too. Like the very kind of eighties blonde woman look as well. It's just a very it's an all around just extremely fucking eighties movie down to the sex scene where a guy that looks like a lizard is like performing conolingus for two minutes. <laughs> um But the one that like really sets off like, oh my fucking god, they're doing this is one of the people that he has to talk to, because uh, at the first crime scene, the first crime scene, he finds a book of like a feminist polemic 
the author on the book is literally named something like it's like Ruth Van Dyke or something. <laughs> like, like, come on, come on, <laughs> come on. And, like Angie saw that and googled it and was like, oh, I wonder. It's like no, it's literally they just made that up. Like, oh yeah, feminist author. Um, how about like uh, uh, Dworkin Dworkin von Castration? That's the name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, and. But no, so they go to the feminist bookstore in West Hollywood, which like, there's probably like, I mean, it was the 80s, but there's probably like a couple hundred feminist bookstores in West Hollywood. Sarkeesian E. Bad tits. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, the, the West Hollywood, like, you know, if w- that feels like a place where there would be a feminist bookstore as often as you'd see a Dunkin' Donuts in Boston. But yeah. um. Anyhow, he goes into the room, and at first she kind of gives the whole, like, oh, you're a man routine? Well, I I don't vibe with that or whatever. And then James Woods is just, like, slightly polite to her, and then she's like, well, I guess I gotta have sex with you now. (laughs) Well, yeah, and there's that hilarious moment where it's not just that he's a man, it's also that he's a cop. And obviously she's, you know, she's, you assume, you know, a a progressive uh, political thinker at the same time. So she accuses him of being, like, you know... I, I, you're trying to infiltrate my community. There's a history of cops Literally. trying to like, yeah, yeah, and, and and then she's like, well, he he has a really horrible anti-feminist sense of humor, and I'm kind of charmed by it. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. There's a history. Of, yeah, no. I mean, it's difficult because the way the woman frames it is like, yeah, my poetry is so radical. I'm getting investigated by the CIA, and like, if I heard that in real life, I would probably laugh out loud, but. Since this movie was written by a raving lunatic, I'm like, yeah, she should speak on it. She's yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're doing MK Ultra shit to her right now. Um, yeah, no, well, but- well, and 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 he's going to her because uh, you know, uh, ostensibly he wants to find this serial killer who you know is maybe interested in 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 the books that she reads, and then he finds out that um, the guy might be interested in those books because you know he might be targeting women and have a history with her that you know resemble her or remind him of her, and so the killer maybe you know has a sort of teenage fantasy about this girl that he never uh, you know w- was able to get with, and now he kills these women and he sends her flowers as like tokens of of his killing but the thing that's really bizarre about the entire subplot is that um she ends up obviously trying to like defend the the feminist killer because he's like oh he's just a sweet guy who sends me foul hours and he reads my book he couldn't possibly be a bad guy and james woods just being like lady aren't you a feminist don't you care about the murder (laughs) of women like come on and then in between scenes of him like joking about you know uh the gang rape story that she just told him and also says is the first time she's ever told a man because james woods just just has that look of like this is the first man i'm gonna reveal this experience to yeah no when i when i see james woods like the first thing i think of is like yeah i would love to tell him like all of my traumas yeah (laughs) this guy would care a lot about that I would all you know what's one of the best examples in this movie of the clash between uh, James Woods written as the cool uh, devilish antihero and James Woods the deranged cop is the scene where he's laying out what he needs done to his boss <laughs> and like kind of comes at him like kind of religiously at first and then it's just like it's here here and he's and he, and then he, and then the boss just looks at him and is like 
Do you have any fucking proof? Yeah, do, yeah. This all? is this is all a hunch. Well, and my favorite aspect of this is because this is like the typical cop movie thing of like, you know, you have you have the uh, police captain who's you know too much of like a liberal pussy to let the guy do his job and and let him do his work. But but in yeah. this movie's universe, even the liberal pussy police captain is like essentially like a fundamentalist like christian like yeah. reagan type Goes basically you know <laughs> like like he, he he's not like you know like a like a, a left-wing infiltrator of the police or anything he's that's just how fucking psycho james wood's cop is is that he's that far to the right of this guy that he's just like I don't think I can give you 12 full-time officers and a full media blitz, dude. Like, you're just, like, there's two murdered women from, like, decades apart, and you're just kind of clearly pursuing this because you want to have sex with all the women involved in the case. Imagine being the one <laughs> Imagine being the one cop that's, like, so insane they don't even give you the tanks that you want. Like, yeah. you're such a fucking <laughs> lunatic scumbag. Like, even your fucking psycho right-wing revanchist fucking boss is like, no, I'm not going to give you a fucking bazooka. Fuck off. Yeah. Um, I also like Raymond J. Barry, the actor who plays it. Uh, I just clicked on his Wikipedia page, um, and he looks like, in this fo- photo of him, he looks like the nicest guy in the world, just like a friendly old man. But in this, like, he is the scariest fucking face in the world. Just this look of pure, just curdled contempt like whenever i'm watching scenes with him i feel like i'm in trouble it's <laughs> yeah like he's, he's just like go, james go to your room yeah just, i can't i can't do this right yeah now. no the the scene where he's just like at the um at the part the him bringing the fe- also you oh my god i'm just jumping him, 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 him bringing the feminist to the cop party yeah no i mean that <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the setup to a bad joke but um yeah. <laughs> A feminist it's... walks into a cop party. <laughs> yeah, no. What did she say? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, God. Uh, but, no, the... So that already happens, which is fucking crazy. And then he's also, like, having little sidebars with Charles Durning. And he's just saying, like, um, little sidebars. And he's usually just saying shit like, uh, oh, that fucking, uh, you know, evangelical nutcase yeah you can kiss my ass i'll never fucking apologize to him and he's just right there and then james woods is just like okay and just walks away and gets suspended yeah well and, and i even think he says like we were just talking about you or something like he doesn't even try to hide it. <laughs> yeah oh my god no yeah, yeah. Well, think, well, and, okay. and, and, and in between this sort of like feminist bookstore subplot, there's also another one that for a while is, I guess, kind of treated as the red herring, which is this corrupt cop that is just as he puts it in quotes here, running dope and getting kickbacks from fruit hustlers all over boys town. He, I'm, imagining, he per- <laughs> I'm not to, not to break, beat the Simpsons references into the ground too much, but I'm imagining the scene where uh, uh, Homer is like has like got to do a fruit inspection, sir. And then Homer's like the car's full of them and just drives. Away. <laughs> yeah, no, it's such a funny and- view of like West Hollywood, fucking Boys Town, as like this like dope smuggling ring or whatever where like guys that wear you know fucking madonna crop tops in the 1980s were like yeah these are like these are our like uh el chapos these are like (laughs) yeah yeah well well, and and, and i mean if this movie was made like 20 years later it would (laughs) be all of the like asshole liberal guys in this town would be wearing shades. yeah no it's like literally Um, like it's just like yeah our sinaloa cartel is like guys who like extend their wrist out when they're shaking your hand that's the like politics of this movie 
Well, and it's so funny that the, obviously, like, the thing that he's pursuing in his immediate thought is, well, it's the gay guys that are killing all the women. Um, so like so like that's that's pursuit number one and then and then the reveal underneath is that oh it's not the gay guys it's the feminist guys that are the gay guy the the gay guys raped the woman but the the feminist (laughs) killed the woman yeah this literally sounds like a chick tract as i'm saying it out loud but like you really you really have to fucking watch this movie because it is insane like you watch that movie and you understand why David Bowie became a Nazi for a year. Like, you just, you get it. It's just a lunatic fucking stimmed up fucking, I, I'm sounding like a like a 80s movie guy saying like, yeah, this movie was like awesome, more awesome than bacon wrapped in more bacon or whatever. But it it really just defies description. Like, you have to see this film. Yeah, and, well, and, and that's what makes it so, you know, partially, you know, like, for me, that's what ends up contributing to the interesting quality that it has, because, like, it's just so obviously despicable in every way. Like, yeah. there's no attempt at coding any of this. There's it is it is as textual as it could be. And James Woods is absolutely in the zone in the psychology of someone who would think these things and and Harris gives it a horror quality that is partially stemming from the book but it just makes James Woods out to be horrific like the scene specifically is um when he is taking down that corrupt cop there's ex- this amazing extended scene where in order to get information out of him he's just playing russian roulette with him and he's just firing the guy and the guy's freaking out and eventually he goes okay well i've gotten every piece of information out of this guy again i i I can get and as a cop i'm gonna take this guy into the station or you know i'm gonna you know i'm gonna arrest him but instead of doing that he basically makes the decision to let him get up so that he can go and grab a gun and he can bait him and he can kill him and there's just such an amazing like casual predetermination to it where the camera sits with James Woods making this choice where he just lets him get up the shot stays with Woods and he just sits there and goes it, it the scene isn't turned into like a thriller scene or like a tense set piece or anything it's like oh is is he going to come back with the gun it's like no 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 he knows and he lets him do it specifically as an excuse to shoot this guy in the back because he doesn't like the guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I like zoned out for a second during that scene when I was rewatching, and then literally it happened. I'm like, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, this is what this is what's going on now. No, yeah, but- well, and, and and so much of this movie is watching James Woods do these investigations and setting up these scenarios and manipulating the logistics of a scene like this specifically so that he can pop off and kill someone or get laid like it it, it entirely his character has a thrill-seeking goal to him that is depicted incredibly flatly and horrifically by harris which is just i don't know that's something that i feel like you can't do by accident yeah well the if i can use the dragged across concrete comparison since we've done an episode on that and i like that movie a good bit more than both of you i'm a, actually a really big fan of it um but mm-hmm. I like those for different reasons. Uh, I like Dragged Across Concrete because it's such a fucking kind of like impish provocation almost. Like it's like. Yeah, it's like winking yeah. at you. Like, look yeah, like, how, how daring. Yeah, like, look yeah, at like us. come on, get mad at us, libs. Get mad. Come on. <laughs> it's very, it's very like self consciously, like even as, you know, S. Craig Zoller is like sort of a apolitical libertarian dork. Like he, he's, he wants to trigger the you libs. You never. You could never do something like the uh, like the gas station robbery 
in that movie in cop like that those are completely different like sensibilities of like right wing yeah whereas this one is not a provocation at all it is just like an insane person's mind it is Mm -hmm. it is just a the mind of this lunatic like true crime writer who believes that like every single person is a serial killer and also believes that like uh you know, in all this like vague right wing stuff, which also I do want to say, James Elroy, like it is up to, it, uh, who believes that it is up to strong men to save uh, to save society from turning into Sodom. And yeah, no, I will say uh, there has been some speculation. So if you've ever heard James Elroy talk, it's very clearly he's putting on an act. Like he he talks in this very specific type of like archaic patter. Like, he talks like he's in, like, Sweet Smell of Success, basically. Like, if he wasn't a published writer, he would be, like, a, he would be, like, the equivalent of, like, a, a fedora guy, basically. Just, just like, completely archaic behavior. But there is some speculation as to whether or not his really right-wing beliefs that he professes where he says, like, yeah, I love Donald Trump, and I'm a conservative, and I think uh, we gotta be tough on crime, and I love the cops. Um, what is it? If it's not, like, a put-on, basically. If it's not just, like, a uh you know him just like trolling essentially and his wife has like indicated that it very well might be and that he's just like a boring liberal but this movie makes me think otherwise because this is like this feels like someone's true beliefs this feels like someone's real vision of the world and it's really compelling for how vile it is absolutely no the plot continues uh so yeah he encounters the feminist he brings her to a store and then when they go back to her house um he's like pursuing this lead and and they mentioned that they were both from around the same part of Silver Lake. And then she confides in him about her, like, you know, she had this group of close-knit group of, like, feminist friends in high school. And she was gang-raped at one point. And when she tried to tell her friends, they just abandoned her. And it's this, like, startlingly raw moment. Like, I'm almost inclined to say the movie, like, takes what she's saying seriously. Like, she's not played as, like, as hysterical dame in this particular scene and later scene she is but in this one they're like they're like kind of that's probably more harris than elroy but harris is like giving her some room to like explain Mm -hmm. this horrible thing that happened to her and then it just cuts to like james woods just like routinely checking his watch um she's like oh i'll tell you more details and then he says and smirking the through the entire story (laughs) yeah and he's just like i've heard the rape i can deal with the whole enchilada now huh and uh just constantly just barreling through this and eventually she's like all right let's have sex now which you know that's a great always a great move to put in a movie or tv show is a character uh recounting a horrific trauma that happened to them and then just being like yeah this is a great time for sex with a stranger and (laughs) the um (laughs) she's like okay uh i'm gonna go smoke some weed and take a bath because if i don't i'll probably tense up during sex which is also completely like god damn dude what the fuck and then yeah (laughs) james woods literally just grabs her diary and runs away and that's the scene that's the fucking scene it's beyond comparison oh man well and 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 also starts going through her yearbook because he thinks that you know it's very possible that you know this this uh killer could be connected to her time at at school now in this situation and they they end up trying to make some sort of case that because of what happened to her that's what inspires him to go around like killing girls that look like her it doesn't really make a lot of sense yeah it makes it like it makes sense that he would kill like what feels like got lost in translation is that 
So if the killer is this male feminist who is in love with this girl from afar who got gang raped, then the logical progression of killings would be he kills the rapists and he kills the girls who abandon her, basically. That would be like the logical yeah. – that would be what you do like you know in a screenwriting class. Um, which, by the way, also, the uh, <laughs> I, I I don't like try to get bogged down in realism for these movies. Like part of the fun is seeing like, oh, these serial killers killed 100 million people and five cops. But when they said, yeah, uh, this guy's connected to 18 murders, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> he was putting up John Wayne, John Wayne Gacy numbers and didn't even have the benefit of like only targeting gay people. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, no. The, the the most vulnerable and easy to murder group of of uh, people in America, fucking yeah, white women in Cali- affluent, in yeah, California. affluent white women in Southern <laughs> affluent California, white women in Southern yeah, California. no. Um, the John Wayne Gacy case. Uh, someone needs to make a cop type movie about that because everything I read about that is like John Wayne Gacy. Not to be a true crime guy, but John Wayne Gacy was literally just like walking around like. Uh, like the the mafioso from the simpsons fat tony just walking around with like body bags and shit and just and just yeah, telling no. cops like you know it would be crazy if I, I murdered someone you know clowns can be even scarier and then they're just like nah you, know, you, you, you you're crazy for this finally. one nah you, you play too much you know you know when uh gacy was finally caught and arrested that uh fucking officer Officer Mo was very uh, angry at Larry. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, like it, it, like everyone in the neighborhood of Gacy was just like, like, yeah, my uh, my son disappeared. Can you like do something about this? And like twelve other kids like him have also disappeared. Cops are like, I don't fucking know, man. They ran away. They're in Narnia or something. Who cares? Anyways, here's our friend, a guy who dresses like a clown and is constantly talking about how much he loves to do crime. Anyhow, he runs away and eventually. Oh, where were we actually? Sorry, Ty. Where uh, where were we in the plot before we started talking about Gacy? I don't know. We... Uh, why'd you ask Ty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Ty. No, no. Yeah, we we need much. someone. We need someone to hold down the fort. Someone to yeah. maintain the structure. No, but I I I, th- I think that we were at the point where because uh, we already covered it, but this is the part where he starts going after that cop, yeah, uh, the the corrupt cop, and he gets into the situation with him, and 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 it all and and well and, and the uh, <laughs> I, I think Logical it's leap. the well his he he gets called in because right after that scene where he you know he intentionally baits that cop so that he can kill a cop just because he wants to, uh, who ends up not being involved in the case like at all. Um, and he gets the phone call from his superior, who's basically like, this feminist is in my office, and she's saying that you took her diary. Is this true? Like, you need to come in. And I love that when he answers that call, that's the, uh, look, I shouldn't have popped off last night. Like, I understand. And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm calling you because some woman, you need to bring her diary back to her. And then he goes, oh, right. I may need you to come down and get me out of this situation. I just murdered a cop. <laughs> and then then I can come and deal with the situation you're actually calling me yeah. about. Like it just it makes me laugh every time that again like there there is a humor to the way that this, you know, every indulgence seems to be stacking and how ridiculous he is even in comparison to the yeah. other cops who who can't believe that, 
you know, he's like, man, we have a feminist complaining Did about you, you and you job? can't even make it down because like... you're killing cops. Like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and at this point, this is where they suspend him, which is like in a very Doing important detail for the ending of the film. Because he spends the climactic set piece of this film, not a cop. Yeah, yeah. like literally not a cop. <laughs> he says so at the end. Right before he shotguns yeah. the killer back and to hell, credits. says, yeah. I'm suspended, and then just shoots him, movie ends. Yeah, again to credits. It's, it's, it's the best. This final set piece, which is, like, the closest it gets to kind of actually indulging in, like, the suspense horror, I guess, because Harris has been, like, really underplaying that aspect of it throughout the film, and this sequence takes place in the high school where the feminist killer uh, <laughs> is 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 there. He's also, like, a gymnast and, like, wielding an Uzi. There's some... The, the killer... The details of the killer are just as inexplicable as they there, are in the original There's nothing as crazy, though. Yeah, he's, like, he's like a persona scene. character uh, or something. The, 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 the <laughs> he's he's so ridiculous. He has, like, the black guy beat the shit out of him so he can make Dirty Harry look bad in the press. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's an incredible moment in, in just film history. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, but but James Woods is you know doing this you know very slow walk through the high school. There's these nice little sort of shadowy tracking shots of him, and it's it's building up to this blunt and brutal confrontation that he's going to get in with. By the way, this killer named Robert Franco. Yep, uh, the Academy like has a lot pal. to answer for. <laughs> Exactly, like my good pal Rob Franco Rob, in LA, who might is he a Silver Lake homeboy? Yeah, I don't Rob, know. <laughs> Rob, what were you doing? What were you doing in 1988? We've yeah, had you on the had... show before. You, we, we, we've got to <laughs> we got to start interrogating him and asking him some questions. Um, yeah, and and this there's great use of like sort of like the levels of the bleachers in the gymnasium where they're on two different 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 levels, and then he finally confronts him, James Woods, with a shotgun, staring at this at this this killer who drops his Uzi, and the guy gives the very classic, "You're a cop, you gotta take me in," you know, like you, it, it's the rules, you know, yeah. the cops got to arrest me, and James Woods gets one of just the greatest ending lines to a movie I've ever heard, which is. There's some good news and there's some bad news. And the good news is that you're right, I'm a cop and I've got to take you in. The bad news is I've just been suspended and I don't give a fuck. And not one shotgun blast, but three shotgun blasts followed by one of the most amazing cut to blacks ever where it it holds long enough. It holds long enough where he cocks the gun you get the, like, breathe out that he makes, and then it cuts, and it holds long enough that you hear the shells hitting the ground on the black screen, and it doesn't show you the result. It doesn't show you, you know, that he blasts the guy, and it's not even, doesn't even do the Dirty Harry thing, where, like, you see the guy get exploded by the rocket launcher or something. It literally, because Harris, for whatever reason, he was in, like, a tasteful character study mode. He just shoots James Woods' reaction, of getting the thrill yep. of killing someone, and then it's it's over. That's all this was building to. That's all he wanted. He willed it in the situation into existence, and it fit every little you know uh, hang up uh, that he has. And he was hoping for it, and he got there, and that's the end of the movie. And yeah. it's very possible. I don't know. He get maybe in judging by oh, how the I'm rest sure. of this movie went. Uh, I imagine I, he just gets like so a little bit that... more suspended for doing no. this. Yeah. Um. 
I wonder if the book does. <laughs> but but the movie doesn't stick around to let you know because it doesn't matter. It's yeah. all about the psychology he, and the he psychology. May, he was, might as well. This, so, so he might as well just vanish into thin like, air after you know, this movie's about on, like basically. a guy consistently yep. becoming more and more deranged as he finds this like uh, like mystery that there's not. It seems like not a great answer to. And also, Silver Lake Homeboy. I thought this would be a really good double, double feature with Under the Silver Lake. Um, there's, there, there is, like, a, lot, a surprising amount of overlap, um, yeah. in this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well. At, at the very least, I would say both are like movies that just kind of lay back and sit you into, you know, the very subjective point of view of you know someone mixing, you know, this like case as they see it with like their own personal desires yeah. in like kind of a, a little bit of a perverted way. They're very like they're both about like misogynist assholes basically chasing after a crime that while real. Really Although, reflects more on their like own fucking psychosis. At least one of these um, exactly. characters yeah. isn't going around murdering. What's all um? I just wanted to say around. my favorite variation. Uh, yeah, yeah. He yeah. Is a cop. <laughs> I don't know. That would have been. That'd I be could too see, far. I could see James Woods killing a couple dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my favorite variation of that trope. Uh, I mean, the ending of this is an all time. I think my favorite. There's this kind of not very good David Mamet movie where, uh, like, uh, Gene Hackman has uh, Danny DeVito just, like, on the ground ready to die. Like, Danny DeVito, you know, gunpoint at his face. And Danny DeVito says, don't you want to hear my last words? And Gene Hackman just says, I just did. And then just blows the fucking shit out of him. <laughs> that is, like, really what, tight. What, what, what's that one? I don't think I've seen that one. Heist. 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 Okay. Another, okay. another movie I, I, with I, a very... I've only seen uh, Homicide, which I actually was also really disturbing, but I I enjoyed the uh, brief time in such a bleak mindset. The one that, uh, I think the one that I would best double feature cop with, and it would be a good one to do an episode on because it's also got similar psychology going on, is a uh, Spartan. So that's him trying that, that, to do like, Oh, yeah, thriller, yeah, with Eastwood. But it's Eastwood. also about the Clinton Yeah, that, I, I saw a clip of that and, on Twitter. Oh, yes, like, like, like Clint Eastwood's absolute power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But not rather than like the sexual indiscretion angle, he's just like, oh yeah, what? no, they're like uh, trafficking little like... girls and stuff, and they're doing like PizzaGate basically. And holy shit, it's really good. It's it's one of the very few movies where like you have no idea when a character is I, going I to also, die. Like just and, like um, there'll just be a scene happening, and then someone's brain the will thing just get that exploded. I was of maybe it's it's really sick. At some point, because it has similar kind of manic energy, uh, <laughs> is uh, fucking Schumacher's falling down. Uh. Ooh, that'd be a good pick. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, well, when when uh, Nate Fisher was uh, of a closer look. Oh, that's the, awesome. Uh, one who showed this movie to me, and when he brought it on our podcast, we did it with Cobra. <laughs> and which honestly, like it, it, it was a, a really revealing pairing because Cobra was like the the almost like fun action version of the fascist id, and a so real when movie. we ended up going into Cop, I think we were like, oh damn, this is like way more of like a serious character study that like it actually seems to be, even though it's very clearly written by a psycho who holds these beliefs. I don't know. There's something about the restraint that Harris shows in depicting it and not making it like a cartoon that you know kind of makes it feel ickier in in a way that i i found you know maybe not expressly critical but in a way that definitely you know uh 
revealed something that was gross and sick about the movie and the material and the writer (laughs) and the actor and everyone in it (laughs) yeah god no what a fucking movie um just generally amazing all around uh like really scratches the procedural itch like everything you want you want like the suspense you want the kind of visceral thrill of seeing something getting pieced together in front of you you get the added bonus that this movie was made by like someone this movie was made by an insane person like you get the added bonus that like rather than being made by like a room full of suits this was made by like one of the fucking craziest guys in hollywood and two of the craziest guys basically anyhow no, what this is a really good movie. Um, I mean, well, and and this is my favorite Elroy adaptation because honestly, L.A. Confidential is missing like that. Yeah. Like L.A. Confidential, I feel like is not as like yeah. I mean, it has it has like a pop glossiness to it that I feel like totally sands off the edges of Elroy being an insane man. And yeah. Cop is the one that just completely leaves them all in and doesn't look away from them and also doesn't turn them into a cartoon. It yeah. absolutely is like this is a, a real pathology that someone has and the in, the situation invented in which this pathology is right needs to be obviously ridiculous yeah. as we talked about. Yeah. But the just the fact that he shot it like a kind of surprisingly i don't know stylish tasteful neo-noir i think just really really like harris's work i'm i either need to see more of it or i don't know like i'm i'm surprised that i mean i even looked up who shot it and i was like this guy literally didn't shoot anything else yeah i was like what like what happened here like this is like i think the the way that this was directed and the way that it looks is like a huge reason of why it works on top of james wood's being a madman and completely in the zone and perfectly matched for for Elroy's material, but yeah, yeah. no, for me this is like an an incredible film. It's become one of I've, since Nate showed it to me. I think I've watched it three times now. Like it's become one of my favorite like L.A. crime movies. Yes, and L.A. Confidential. Like I I want to I want to push back on some of the pushback against it. Ironically, I do want to say that that is a really fun <laughs> movie. That's like a classic, you know. I mean, it's very, like, it's one of those, like, classic kind of switch wa- Swiss watch Oscar bait movies, but it's very satisfying on its own terms, but... It's also driven by the star power of it, for sure. Like, yeah. I, when, I, when I rewatched it recently, I had completely forgotten that, like, Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce like, weren't relatively known actors when they made that. So, yes. like, what a piece of casting. Yeah, no, they're both fantastic in it. I mean, uh, <laughs> speaking of fucking psychopedophiles, Kevin Spacey's also very charming in that movie, is, too. Is Spacey uh, more or less <laughs> psycho than James? Yes. They're both uh, roughly the same pedophile, but it's it's, you know, uh girls you're both pretty that's my answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i i i I don't want to uh like i like la confidential and i think it's a very good movie i just definitely having gone through so many uh la crime movies over the last like couple years uh i i would i do get a little surprised that it was considered uh, by a lot of critics uh like even i when whenever when, when did they do that um uh I forget. it was considered the best crime movie of like the last 25 years uh like in a in a, a critics poll when they did it for the los angeles critics and i was like i don't even know if it's the best you know la movie of like 1997 
if yeah. we were including like Jackie Brown or Boogie Nights or Lost Highway. And I was just like, I don't know. It's just it's a very, very good movie, though. And Dante Spinotti, uh, man cinematographer, definitely shoots that well and it's very pulpy and fun also insanely good ending shootout one of the one of my favorite like oh yeah that's a just like briefly turning this movie that Um, this mystery movie into a sold on final thoughts on this i like it i think the third act could have been yeah could have used it but anyhow other than that it's really fun um yeah no it's really good it's if you're looking for right-wing movies that don't feel like insincere or half-assed please watch this one it's it's awesome uh thank you so much for coming on josh this was a blast thanks for having me and for thinking about me when it comes to a movie like cop yeah no the reputation is is on its way yeah no um yeah i wanted to tap a real movie head for this one (laughs) yeah yeah when i thought of when i thought of james elroy and james woods and fascist police officers a good good first choice yeah let's get josh lewis that's the first person i thought (laughs) yeah no, I'm glad, um, I'm, I'm glad to have it. Okay, so go ahead and plug what you yeah. want to. Uh, me. Oh, I, uh, Sleezoids. That's yeah. it. That's what, that's what we're cool. doing. We're yeah. doing a podcast. We're we're gonna have Spencer on again at some point this year, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna Look make them watch it. a bunch of like two and a half hour French movies about guys driving cars. It's gonna be sick. Hey, do you know what? We'll take it. The Hell patrons yeah. just had Let's... us watch uh, uh, JFK as part of the double feature, and we were like seriously like i love it but i was like three three hours and 20 minutes or yeah three they, hours they and 30 can be minutes demanding. almost i was like this is a bit this is a, this is a, a little bit much to ask anytime a guest wants to do a double feature and they're both three hours long or something yeah. i'm like well i i was going to bring in um yeah i was going to bring in a, a brighter summer day and eleva uh, evolution of a filipino family i thought that was going to be <laughs> yeah i thought that would be a really good double feature but check out Sleezoids. Sleezoids boys are the best. Um, and other than that, I will catch you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Positively can do all the things that make us love and